Welcome to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast, where we invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience, heal your heart while refining your character, and set you up to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. I'm your host, Karen McMahon, founder of Journey Beyond Divorce. My divorce brought me to my knees, and it also transformed me and set me on this path to help you. Our team of JBD coaches support men and women to engage in divorce with more calm, clarity, and confidence through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. And if we're able to get out of our own way as part of the divorce process, you know, especially if there are children involved and we recognize the fact that it's not providing for one another as much as it is providing for our children, our future grandchildren, our great grandchildren, and many generations down the line. If we can come to the table with a different set of lenses and be a bit more open to it, we can really do extraordinary planning. As if divorce isn't complicated enough, add wealth and a family-held business and divorce negotiations can get quite complex and emotionally charged. That's why I created a series around divorce and the family-held business. Whether you're the primary business owner or the spouse of, this series is for you. We speak to attorneys for each side and walk you through what to expect and how to prepare from consultation through settlement. Along with typical intricacies of high net worth divorce are the unique complexities of the family-held business partnerships, commercial properties, employment of family members, and so much more. All of our experts are experienced in these areas and will assist you in asking the right questions, gathering the appropriate information, and ultimately negotiating the best possible settlement. Greetings. Today we wrap up our Divorce and the Family Held Business series with a critically important piece that is often overlooked or overlooked or attended to only at the end of your divorce. In the chaos of negotiations and the emotional turmoil that accompanies divorce, there are critical conversations and decisions that need to be made around the business of your estate, your savings, um, everything from changing beneficiaries and ensuring you have enough insurance coverage to exploring updating other trust and estate issues. Consider also the estate planning and estate tax implications post-divorce. With us today, we have Lindsay Page Marcus, a respected attorney in trust and estates and the author of A Gift for the Future, Conversations About Estate Planning. Lindsay is licensed in Illinois, New York, and Florida, and has a national practice and leads her firm, Chuhawk and 
Texan PC, her firm's team of 25 trust and estate practitioners. Welcome, Lindsay. Thank you. Lindsay, today is such an important conversation as we wrap up this entire series. Uh, so often uh, what the pieces that my clients need that you take care of often can fall by the wayside. They're exhausted at the end of the divorce. They're done with the business of it and they move on. And yet there are so many critical pieces that need to be attended to. And so I would love to talk about that. Can you just tell us a little bit about how you got into this field and um, and we'll kick it off that way? Sounds great. Um, so I actually had a late start in the practice of law. My background was really in business and finance. And I went back to law school not knowing whether I would actually practice law, um, but wanting to learn a new skill set. I recognized that at each critical juncture, especially in business and consulting and finance, a lawyer was present. So I wanted to pursue law. And it's been a wonderful fit. Um, I love the ability to be proactive with clients and families, not just reactive. I love the creativity. Um, and at the end of the day, I really feel like I'm helping people. So trusts and estates, death and taxes um, has become my passion. That's your wheelhouse. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot for us to cover. And yet I know that there's a chunk of it that's particularly unique to couples who are divorcing where there's a family business involved. So can we, even if that's a higher end, can we start there and then sure. and then go into the other stuff? Absolutely. So I think one of the first things we need to figure out is where is the family business? Is the family business between the two parties themselves who are divorcing? Did they create this family business together? Or are they both working in one or the other's family business? Or are we talking about a situation where one of the parties is intertwined with his or her family business with their respective family members? I think another um, consideration really relates to the ages. You know, First and foremost, do they have children together? Um, and how old are their children and are the children involved in the business or do we believe that they will be one day? Oftentimes when we're looking at a situation where only one of the parties is working in the family business, there is often a prenuptial or a premarital agreement that was in place prior to the marriage that would dictate that um, those business assets, those family assets remain that of the family. Um, if that was not the case, then certainly that would be something that the parties would want to figure out in terms of the division of assets. Um, and I think one of the biggest issues that we run into anytime we're trying to divide assets that are do not have obvious fair market value or liquidity is what is the value of that asset? Um, and as I'm sure you've seen with clients and situations that you've consulted over the years, one of the most hotly litigated areas is often figuring out what is the valuation of that asset and how can it be equitably divided? Um, when we talk about looking at the next generation participating or anytime there are children involved, whether there's a family business or not, but oftentimes, especially when there's a family business asset, 
I work very hard with the parties to try and educate them on what the estate tax implications will be in the future. Because even if I'm divorcing my ex and we we agree that we are going to go our separate ways and we are going to hopefully live long, healthy lives, productive lives, perhaps with different partners. If we have children together, at the end of the day, there will always be some level of involvement. And if we are blessed enough to be in a situation where we have what we characterize as a taxable gross estate, an estate tax, an estate that will be subject to estate tax or death tax at the time of passing, it's an opportunity for us to be mindful of the fact that if we're not strategic in planning for that, the real people that we're punishing are our children together. Because if we were married and had an estate plan together, one of the tax planning benefits is that the estate can easily be structured so that there will be no estate tax owed until both parties are gone. But now that we're going our separate ways um, and assuming we're not remarrying right away, or if we are, there might be different terms and conditions to the treatment of assets with a prenup, um, especially if we didn't do it the first time around. Um we really need to take a moment and think about this opportunity to be proactive in planning to really protect for and provide for our children and future generations at the same time. You know, I think you hit the nail on the head um, when you talked about and you mentioned the fact that when couples are going through the process, they experience this level of fatigue. Um, I often characterize it as legal fatigue or attorney fatigue. So one of the last things they want to do is sit down with another practitioner, um, even if it's under different circumstances and whatnot, but an estate planning attorney, their corporate counsel, or someone who's acting in both capacities. Uh, But it's really a critical time for them to engage in that planning because there's a need. I want to follow this. So if if you have a couple who's divorcing and when you talk about there being an estate and estate taxes, so we've already spoken to a business valuator. So let's say, you know, the negotiations have been done. What his is his, hers is hers. And so now mm-hmm. one party is coming to you. I don't know if there's a if there's a specific difference, if it's the business owner or the spouse of But can you explain, like you're talking about tax ramifications, it's going over my head a little bit. So I'm thinking it might be going over my listeners head. So what what do I need to consider um, around my estate planning after I've negotiated or, or do you come in earlier before I've negotiated? So there's there's a big gray area here I would love for you to kind of give it give your two cents on. Absolutely. In an ideal world. Um, an estate planning attorney is brought in to consult on high net worth divorces on the estate tax and estate planning implications in connection with the settlement. Oftentimes there's a life insurance component. So the estate planning attorney can come in and help brainstorm a creative way using an irrevocable life insurance trust, for example, to move the life insurance death benefits outside of their taxable gross estates, um, to agree to have some type of planned structure for how the children, um, how they will do gifting to the children over the years, things like that. 
the fact that clients experience such fatigue with attorneys is all the more frustrating based on the fact that, as you noted, at the time of the divorce, the marital settlement agreement will clearly lay out who is getting what and the values of those assets. So it's a phenomenal time to know and understand the size of your estate. When we talk in my world about the size of someone's taxable gross estate, it's not just obvious assets. Money in a savings account, money in an investment portfolio, equity in real estate, business interests. But another asset that's often overlooked is life insurance. So even if it's a term life insurance policy that might have zero value, if there is a $5 million death benefit, the $5 million is included in your taxable gross estate. Then based on the year in which you die, the government allows you to pass a certain amount of money tax-free that we call the exemption amount. What is exempt or free from taxation? At the federal level right now, Trump doubled the exemption from $5 million to $10 million adjusted for inflation. So for 2023, the inflation adjusted number is just shy of $13 million at $12.92 million. But depending on the state in which a client resides, there are other state-level estate tax implications. In Massachusetts, for example, it's as low as a million dollars. In Illinois, it's four million. So if you live in a state that has its own estate tax implications, Massachusetts, for example, every dollar over a million dollars will be subject to some level of estate tax in Massachusetts. And then once you hit 12.92 million, you're looking at paying not only state-level estate tax, but also federal. And when you combine them, it can be an excess of 50% on every dollar over that amount. Wow. Yes. And wait, just when you think you understand what's going on, we have the laws changing over time, right? So in 2026, that exemption of 12.92 million is scheduled to drop in half to about, let's say it'll probably be about $7 million adjusted for inflation. So at the time that you're going through the divorce is a wonderful time to be proactive and look forward at what your taxable gross estate might be because to the extent that it's appropriate or recommended to purchase life insurance, for example, for estate tax replacement to help cover an estate tax liability, Like so many other things, the sooner you get that in place, the better. Um, And another area of frustration for estate planning practitioners is when we review a marital settlement agreement and we see how assets were divided or the terms that are laid out, um, terms stipulated in terms of requirements for who's to be listed as the beneficiary of the life insurance, things like that. And we kick ourselves because oftentimes we can come up with a more tax efficient way to have structured that. Um, And depending on how the separation and divorce was handled, was it collaborative? Was it litigious? Oftentimes, despite the potential tax savings, clients don't want to open up that can of worms again. They, we, you know, we have to figure out another way to tackle the issue. Um, But going back to one of your other questions about when we're consulting to the two parties, you know, whether it's the spouse with 
the business or without the business, we oftentimes look at the same issues and characteristics. Does this individual have a taxable gross estate? Will it be subject to estate tax in the future? If so, are there things we can do and recommend now to help minimize or avoid that tax? And then another challenge that we have for the family business assets is this issue of liquidity. Because if there is an estate tax liability in the future, the estate tax will be due nine months from the individual's date of death. So if the business is incredibly valuable and the business has significant value, but the other assets in the individual's estate are not liquid, we run into a situation where families are often required to sell the family business or liquidate assets or borrow significantly in order to cover those estate tax liabilities. So this is really um, interesting. It's fascinating to me. So what I what I hear you saying, correct me if I'm wrong, is that bringing a, a trust and estate attorney in earlier in the negotiations um, allows you to have eyes on on the assets, on the protection of the assets, and it it allows you to kind of come in and do that creativity that you talked about, like be creative and help someone um, emerge with with more money, with less uh, with less tax liability. Exactly. And if we're able to get out of our own way as part of the divorce process you know, especially if there are children involved and we recognize the fact that it's not providing for one another as much as it is providing for our children, our future grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, and many generations down the line. If we can come to the table with a different set of lenses and be a bit more open to it, we can really do extraordinary planning. Listeners often share that they've been on the fence about leaving their difficult marriage for far too long. What about you? Are you walking on eggshells, constantly trying to make sense of your spouse's black and white thinking, revisionist history, endless blame and accusation? Have you lost your voice, your self-confidence, even your belief that a better life is available for you? Imagine for a moment entering your divorce unflustered by your spouse's recriminations, certain of your legal rights, crystal clear on your next steps, and secure in your support team. How would it be to feel guided and supported to create, practice, and implement a bulletproof plan to leave your marriage with grace and dignity? If this sounds like what you need to finally get unstuck, go to journeybeyonddivorce.com and learn more about our Get Off the Fence program. You can even book a call with a coach to ensure that this is the right program for you. Pippa 
particularly when I think about the tax implications of um, those going through divorce, you know, I think, well, they probably need a CPA involved. Can you just speak a little bit to how you work with the CPA when w- w- perhaps what where your wheelhouse is compared to theirs? Because this is an interesting thing. We're talking about taxes a lot. I don't think that the role of a CPA and an estate planning attorney are mutually exclusive. I think we can build upon one another. Oftentimes, the CPA is at top of mind because different assets have different income tax, potential income tax liabilities when we're looking at traditional IRA assets versus Roth, when we're looking at a large investment portfolio with significant capital gains built in, um, real estate. Uh, especially if there's commercial real estate, you know, what is the underlying tax basis or cost basis in those assets? I think oftentimes when a CPA is brought in, it's to consult on those everyday income tax considerations, um, as well as oftentimes they can provide insight from a valuation perspective. The estate planning attorney tends to focus more on, keep that in mind, of course, but also to focus on estate tax, that death tax that I had mentioned, and the the organization of the assets to minimize taxes, avoid probate, and provide creditor protection for beneficiaries in the future. So it's it's oftentimes somewhat through a bit of a different lens, and it's not always necessary. Um, I think it should be a requirement and a critical aspect for anyone who's a high net worth individual, because here we are, we're spinning in circles trying to figure out how we can minimize or avoid capital gains tax, which is at about 23.8%. And then we're not spending any time focusing on the estate tax, which can be at 50%, 5-0%. I've also seen a lot of situations, to be quite honest, though, where couples of quite modest means that do not have estate tax liabilities recognize that they wish to have some some set of structure and uniformity to provide for children they have together so that each of the party's documents are similar in nature in terms of how money is left to their children. Um, So there's still proactive planning we can do, uh, but there's not that critical need for estate tax minimization. Okay. So, so, I think what you've made really clear is you get, you guys are really, you're, you're looking at the long game. You're looking at the, the assets that are going to be lasting generations and really keeping that estate tax down and, and hiring you earlier on allows you to get eyes on the negotiation and, um, and to best advise on and holding on to as much of the settlement as, as one can. Um, what are some of the other issues when it comes to trust in estates that we want to talk to our listeners about in terms of what they need to be considering? And if you could maybe timestamp it, like, what do you need to consider 
as you're in the midst of the negotiations versus the stuff that you actually can't do until um, the tail end. So can we touch on some of those? For sure. So I think during the negotiations, um, typically clients have gone through the exhaustive process of figuring out what their assets are and where they are. To your point, oftentimes uh, couples are prohibitive prohibited from moving assets. Um, so transferring assets to a trust if they did not do estate planning previously, changing beneficiary designations, things like that. I think the information gathering is critical. And although clients are often prohibited from modifying the terms of their estate planning documents during the divorce or retitling them, I have worked often with clients to update the documents so that they are ready to be signed immediately post-divorce. Another issue we run into where there are high net worth individuals is oftentimes the couple may have already engaged in more advanced estate tax planning. Um, So thinking beyond a traditional revocable living trust that can be amended, revoked, or changed, oftentimes the more advanced planning tools that we look to to move assets outside of someone's taxable gross estate or start gifting on a regular basis are in the form of what we call an irrevocable trust, a trust that cannot be changed. So an estate planning attorney is often brought in to consult on how an irrevocable trust could potentially be severed or what other planning opportunities there are in the case that clients may have already set aside $5 million in an irrevocable trust for the benefit of the children or in an irrevocable trust for the benefit of the spouse and children. What happens in those instances? And a lot depends on the documents themselves, the relationships amongst the parties, you know, Is everyone in agreement in terms of what they would like to see have happen? And then how can we get to that end result together, taking into consideration everyone's assets and wishes? So um, in terms of a revocable trust versus an irrevocable trust, if it's irrevocable, it can't change. If it's irrevocable, it can't change. However, there, from time to time, we will see situations where the irrevocable trust will provide that my spouse is the beneficiary of this trust, provided that we are married. But in the event we are no longer married, my spouse ceases to be the beneficiary and then everything passes to the children. Or we will see instances where the trust may include language to provide that If at some point in time, the cost to maintain the trust outweighs the benefit, not necessarily just from a financial perspective, or language might appear in the trust document to say that if the purpose of the trust is no longer applicable, that a neutral third party can terminate or sever the trust. That opens the door sometimes for us to make another modification. Um, Sometimes these are done through what we call a non-judicial settlement agreement or a virtual trust amendment. 
family settlement agreement, things like that. So generally speaking, irrevocable trusts are irrevocable, but from time to time, there are opportunities for us to terminate or modify administrative provisions. So th- this this um, this sounds like it can get really complex. And the first question that comes to mind is, when you're working with someone going through a divorce, what is your, I mean, you're clearly part of the team. So are you, are you interacting with the matrimonial attorney? Are you interacting with the family, the, the financial planner or advisor or the CPA? Like, how do, can you just talk to our listeners about how that works? You being a member, you, a trust and estate attorney, being a member of that divorce team? Sure. Um, in an ideal world, the trust and estates attorney who's consulting has the opportunity to communicate with everyone. I don't see the need for the TNE attorney to be involved in every single conversation, every step. Right. If you're working with um, knowledgeable and informed advisors, oftentimes in a 15-minute call between the wealth advisor and myself or um the family law attorney and myself, we can get to the issue at hand and we can identify circumstances where the trust and estates attorney should be brought in. Um, But I think it's critical for clients to know and understand the value they get when the different advisors have the opportunity to communicate with one another. Um, The tax savings for income tax planning, estate tax savings, a whole variety of issues is so invaluable when you have the advisory team communicating together. I've had a handful of situations over the course of my practice where clients have prohibited me from speaking to other practitioners out of fears of fees or I'm not sure what. Um, And in each instance, it resulted in such a headache and such a nightmare that if clients wish to limit my communication, I'm okay, like from a timing perspective or they want to be kept informed. But if a client prohibits me from communicating with other team members, um, I politely suggest that perhaps I'm not the appropriate fit. Yeah. And I think that that's such an important point for those of you listening in, Um, You know, I've been doing this for over a dozen years and there's this understandable reaction like everyone in the world, I have to hire all these different people, I have to invest all this different money and and it's so important to understand as you're articulating so beautifully that um, the it's 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 not a spending it's an investing and when you invest in these different parties you're protected. And I often will say your matrimonial attorney is not a financial expert. Like there's a reason you want a wealth advisor, a financial planner on your team. And likewise, even though he or she is an attorney, they're not a trust and estate attorney. And so everyone has their own wheelhouse. And so what I'm hearing is you're not needed a ton through the process, but for those few phone calls, those few interactions where vital information is shared, it's all in support of protecting the client's bottom line. Exactly. Beautiful. 
So, so we've got trusts now. Um, and then you said something about insurance and then there's beneficiaries. So can we just kind of run through perhaps a list of documents um, or the business that you handle in this transition sure. from we to me? So I often characterize for clients or use the analogy that when we're doing estate planning, imagine we're building a house and the foundation of the home, the foundation of the estate plan should almost always incorporate what we call a revocable living trust. That is a critical document to make certain we leverage tax planning, avoid the courts in terms of probate and guardian estates, and provide asset protection or creditor protection to for beneficiaries. The trust would work with a special kind of will known as a pour-over will. It's called that because we hope we don't have to use it, but just in case, there's a paragraph that says, if there was something I forgot to put into my trust, it will pour over into the trust on death. And then we would always want to have powers of attorney for healthcare and financial decisions, power of attorney for property, power of attorney for healthcare, to make certain that we circumvent the courts not only upon death, but also in the event of incapacity. Then, as clients' estates reach those estate tax thresholds, which could be very different depending on the state in which they reside, um, we might look to layer on more planning tools to help minimize or avoid those estate tax liabilities. A popular tool when there's a lot of life insurance involved is what we call an ILIT, an Irrevocable Life Insurance Trust. Um, that helps to move the death benefits of the life insurance policy outside of someone's taxable gross estate. There are many different kinds of irrevocable trusts, gift trusts for children, gift trusts for grandchildren, um, gift trusts for a spouse and children, known as a spousal lifetime access trust. There are charitable planning tools. Um, there are charitable foundations, charitable trusts, and the list goes on and on. And I think that's one of the exciting, but also overwhelming aspects of the world of death and taxes is that we have all these different tools in our box. Um, yeah. And it's that I think that's why it's so important to work with an attorney that concentrates in this area to help identify which tools are best suited for your particular situation. Beautiful. I want to ask about, um, so let's, let's say I'm married to someone, we're getting divorced. Let's say he's the business owner. I'm going through this negotiation. We have a trust and estate attorney. What is your um, advice on keeping the same trust and estate attorney or finding your own? I, you know, more and more, I'm encouraging clients to go with their gut instinct and if your gut instinct was that your existing trust and estates attorney was wonderful and you had a pleasant experience or as pleasant as one can be through the divorce process and you and your ex um, still wish to, you know, still can be respectful to one another and it's not an issue, I think it can be a wonderful tool to use the same attorney especially when there are minor children involved or even adult children, because at the end of the day, we still oftentimes want to have consistency in terms of how the next generation is inheriting. Mm -hmm. So I've had many situations where clients have worked with me as a married couple. 
They've contacted me to let me know that they're pursuing a divorce and they will need to update their state planning documents. With their permission, I can work with them separately. They would just have to sign conflict waivers during the divorce. And then post-divorce, it's a brand new engagement where there's no need for conflict waivers. Um, but I have had many situations where partially from my education to the clients, they recognize the importance of consistency for the children. And even though my ex and I might wish to have different decision makers at different times, we still want the kids, you know, the same types of control mechanisms to be in place so that we're not only protecting the children from the outside world, but also from themselves in many instances. And, and when do you, under what circumstances would you encourage someone to find uh, a new trust and estate attorney? I think when, first and foremost, when um, the client didn't feel a connection with the attorney, I think like any advisor and any task that we're looking to do in life planning, we have so many other things going on in our life that if you don't feel a connection and if you don't generally like and feel comfortable talking to that practitioner, whether it's wealth management, accounting, or trusts and estates, it makes it that much more painful to engage in the planning. So we need yeah. to set the stage for success and to encourage the clients to engage in the planning. Yeah. So I think first and foremost, when someone doesn't feel a connection, and second, if for whatever reason, the client has a gut instinct that, yes, the attorney says they're going to keep things separate, but my significant other or my former significant other still has all these other business dealings with this individual. I don't feel comfortable. Whatever you're most comfortable with, I think, is is of the critical, of, of the most, utmost import. Um, but it by far and away, it's one of the most important things for clients to do as part of the divorce process. Yeah. And the other thing I'm wondering is, let's say um, um, I have to find a trust and estate attorney. I've decided for whatever reason not not to go with the one that I shared with my spouse. Um, can you share any uh tips or even questions. So, so we're, we're talking about high net individuals, family business, they're walking away with significant assets. How, what are some of the questions that they would want to ask or some of the things that they would want to look at um, as they explore a new trust in a state attorney? You know, one of the things you mentioned previously was how complex and, um, how intricate this kind of planning can be. So I think it's not, you know, you really need, clients really need, and listeners really need to try and find an attorney that concentrates in this area mm -hmm. um, because there are so many nuances. And I think oftentimes the existing family law attorney, CPA or wealth advisor will have recommendations for people that they have worked with who know and understand the estate tax planning opportunities that are available. And it's not just finding someone that knows and understands that, but also someone that communicates it in a way that the client can understand. Mm -hmm. 
Because if someone's communicating to you through tax code references, you're not going to get it. You're not going to want to engage in the planning and you're not going to feel comfortable moving forward. Right. I think that's such an important one. So I'm hearing you say a couple of things. I mean, uh, clearly someone who specializes in trust and estates and isn't kind of an attorney of all things is is highly recommended. It sounds like the laws change a lot. Staying on top mm-hmm. of all of that is really vital. And then the other piece um, that I kind of heard between the lines is like this 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 intuitive hit. It's like, do I trust this yeah. person? Does this person hear me, see me when I don't understand? Do they take the time to explain? Are they speaking in layperson's terms? Am I comfortable? This is the person who's going to be helping me plan um, to to grow and and maintain my finances. How comfortable am I with them? And how capable are they are speaking on a term that I can understand? Exactly. Beautiful. So so we've talked about insurance a little bit. We've talked a bunch about um, trusts and and we talked about getting all those documents together that need to be updated with beneficiaries and what have you. Uh, is there any piece that we haven't touched on that you think would be important to uh, speak to the listeners about? One aspect that's often highlighted and too often overlooked is that no matter what the divorce decree says, or what the estate planning documents say, beneficiary designations govern. So I use Brad Pitt oftentimes as my fictional husband. He's who I I use in my at the beginning of my book to talk about how married trusts work, um, how the tax planning considerations uh, can be built into trust documents to minimize or avoid estate taxes for a married couple. But imagine the situation where I'm divorcing Brad or I'm divorcing Brad Pitt. Um, If Brad dies and the beneficiary of his retirement plan is me, in many instances, I will still get those assets. In many instances, if the beneficiary of his retirement plan or life insurance lists Angelina Jolie or even Jennifer Aniston, that is where the money goes. So take the time to go over this two and three times with your wealth advisor, with um, your team to make certain that everything has properly been updated to reflect what your intentions are. That can often be handled holistically by updating your estate planning documents. But then you still have to go through the tedious step of looking at beneficiary designations on different assets. Right. And so high net, you may have a lot of different assets. And I assume that's a place where a trust and a state attorney really helps make sure that all of them have been combed through. And, and what I'm hearing is no matter what any of your legal documents signed, sealed and delivered say, if your investment accounts have a beneficiary of your ex or somebody else, um, that trumps everything else. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really important. So, you know, as I'm listening to you, it's like, it's a lot of paperwork. It's a lot of detail. It's a lot of intricacy. It's a lot of complexity. And 
you know, as we started this episode, uh, it's the piece that can fall to the wayside because people are so tired and because they're doing it at the, you know, at the 12th hour. And it's like, I'll get to it. But then they start getting on with the business of their post-divorce life. So um, in wrapping up, if I'm hearing you correctly, um, putting your trust and estate attorney on the list early on, having at least the conversation that uh, we're engaging in a divorce, I'm going to need you, getting that trust and estate attorney's um, advice on when to bring him or her in. Uh, and then uh, it's almost like just doing that piece at least opens the door that the t &E attorney knows, okay, we need to go through all these documents. We need to see what's missing. And then what I'm hearing you say is through the process, there are opportunities where you can bring in as a trust and estate attorney, you can bring in creativity, you can help limit um, tax implications. And then at the tail end, you can help make sure that once once they have a green light to change things, that everything is changed. And actually, that could even be prepped beforehand. So it's not so well overwhelming at the tail end. That's correct. What did I miss? <laughs> nothing nothing yeah so so I, I love this because um our desire is to make sure that those going through the divorce with the family health business are checking off all of the boxes and having all of the support having the entire all-star team that they need to emerge as solid and ready to move on as they can You've been listening to our podcast, Getting Educated, Regulating Your Emotional Reactions, and it's been really helpful. Yet you know you could do better, be better, and you're wanting and needing more support. That's where our coaching service is a game changer. We're here for you when you need us the most, ensuring you have all the tools and resources at your fingertips, guiding and supporting you to be more effective. Our free rapid relief call helps you gain a broader perspective, commit to your best next steps, and determine what coaching support is right for you. Visit rapidreliefcall.com to book your call today. Uh, uh, pieces of advice or tips as we wrap up. And then I'd like you to tell our folks where they can find you. Sure. Um, I think just breathe. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. Um, even in the most amicable of, of separations and divorces uh, where the parties have agreed to work in a collaborative fashion and the team is functioning beautifully. There's a lot of change uh, in life and routine um, there's so much going on. So just breathe and put one foot in front of the other and you'll get through it. Beautiful. So, um, 
I love your book, um, A Gift for the Future. You. Can you tell our listeners a little bit sure. about the book and then um, where they can actually reach you? Sure. Um, so this was a labor of love. Um, I, I'm. It's still surreal that it's out. Um, it's available on Amazon. It was uh, a bestseller in the new release of several categories when it first came out. And I'm working now on a second edition um, to provide for inflation adjustments for 2023. But I was frustrated when clients over time and and actually when I was looking to hone my craft, that there were a lot of materials out there that were very rudimentary. And then there were a lot of materials out there that were incredibly complex, very little in between. Um, and I at the end of the day, I believe that the only reason why clients don't have a proper estate plan in place is a function of education. So I've made it my mission to try and educate as many people as possible about death and taxes. So as I mentioned before, I use Brad Pitt as my fictional husband um, to explain estate tax planning. Then we shift focus to um, Jack and Diane from the John Mellencamp song. We watch them fall in love. We have conversations about whether a prenuptial agreement is warranted and appropriate, what to consider. They get married, they have children. What does their estate plan look like? And we watch the estate plan grow and change over time as their assets, family dynamics and needs change as well. They start a business, um, they become philanthropic, uh, they have grandchildren, they're in a position to give more to family members, to charities. And then uh, lo and behold, um, their love has has seen its better days. Um, their journey as a married couple comes to an end. They divorce and then Diane remarries. So we watch that cycle wow. and how their estate plan changes over time. Oh, so um, that is so helpful for our particular audience too, because yeah. you take beautiful. Lindsay, where can our listeners find you? Yes. Um, I have my own website that I created as an educational tool, lindsaymarcus.com. Um, feel free to reach out to me through my work website. Uh, my email address is lmarcus, L-M-A-R-K-U-S, at chuhak, C-H-U-H-A-K.com. And Amazon is probably the easiest way to access the book. Uh, hop on Amazon. It's called A Gift for the Future, Conversations About Estate Planning check it out. Awesome. Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your expertise with us and guidance. I think this is enormously valuable for those listening. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for the opportunity. And that's a wrap for our Divorce and the Family Held Business series. I hope that you found a lot of value in it and check out our other series. We'll be back soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com, where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one -on -one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon.